Welcome to the podcast for Epworth United Methodist Church in Berkeley, California. I'm Pastor Kristen Stone King. Our mission at Epworth is to live out God's love for all. We strengthen our faith as we worship, study, develop a creative, supportive community, and serve others. Together, we encourage each other, challenge each other, and welcome all people on their journey of faith. We are a reconciling congregation, meaning that persons of all sexual orientations and gender identities are welcomed to help transform our church and our world into the full expression of Christ's inclusive love. We are a sanctuary church advocating for the rights and dignity of immigrants, and we stand in solidarity with the movement for Black Lives.
Our podcast blends a taste of the music that we experience here in worship on Sunday mornings, along with a scripture reading and a message. verses 1 to 10. Once while Jesus was standing beside the lake of Gethsemane, and the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he saw two boats there at the shore of the lake. The fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little way from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we have nothing. Yet if you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done this, they caught so many fish that their nets were beginning to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were amazed at the catch of the fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John and sons of Zebedee, who were partners of Simon. Then Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid, for no one you will be catching people. Here ends the reading. Oh, Lord. 
Charles, thank you, choir. Will you pray with me now the words of preparation that are in your printed or your digital bulletin? Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth be acceptable in your sight. O God, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Has anyone ever been to the annex on San Pablo? Have you been there? It's the, it's the prepared food part of the natural grocery in El Cerrito. You've been there? So, okay, so you, all right, all right. 
Well, if you haven't been, I recommend it. It's one of my favorite places to meet, especially in the morning for coffee or a, a hot breakfast. They've got like a breakfast buffet and, and I can always pick up like a salad or a sandwich for the, later in the day because I'm always kind of moving from thing to thing. And so this week I was at the annex meeting a friend for breakfast, but all was not well. I went to the hot breakfast bar and there were no eggs. I was looking forward to those delicious Annex eggs, the main feature of my favorite hot breakfast out. There was no one around even to ask. Then I went to get my latte. And they used oat milk instead of almond milk. What? My friend who I was meeting has previously worked at the Annex. And she also wanted scrambled eggs, but then she mentioned that they're short-staffed. They've had a hard time finding folks who could work for what they pay. And that every time she's there, even though she also loves to go there, she feels a, a twinge of guilt for not being there and pitching in. Well, our scripture today is from Luke, and as it opens, the disciples may have been hungry too. Nothing on their plates or in their stomachs. And as the scene begins, Jesus is teaching the crowds, then moves into a boat with his disciples to continue to teach. Then he asks Peter to turn the boat toward the deeper water. Peter's reluctant. They've been fishing all night and coming up empty. But Jesus tells him to go into the deeper water and try again. And you know what happens next? You've heard this text. The disciples drop the nets. And what did Becky tell us? They're teeming with fish, full nets, abundance. You know, the thing about the annex in El Cerrito is that even though I felt I was coming up to empty, no eggs, no almond milk in my latte, the place is actually filled with abundance. There's amazing food everywhere but I couldn't see it. Why not? Well, my expectations were in the way and I had forgotten to check my privilege at the door. <laughs> so how often do we miss abundance around us because we have become fixated on what we expect and think we need for our own sustenance, even our own comfort? Believe it or not, we do this even here at Epworth when some aspect of the worship service is not what we wanted. We're tired of wearing masks or there's someone in our usual spot or the music isn't what we wanted to hear or sing. And all the while, God's abundance, God's love, God's grace, God's mercy is trying to reach us and fill us to soften the grind of the world on our hearts to open us up to God. The Christian mystic Richard Rohr says, somewhere each day we have to fall in love with someone, something, some moment, event, or phrase. Somehow each day we must allow the softening of the heart. Otherwise, our hearts will move inevitably toward hardness, will move toward cynicism and bitterness, fear and despair. Do you know what he's talking about? 
Have you sensed this in yourself, that tiny moment when you can respond with care, acknowledge vulnerability, admit your own imperfectness, and at the same time you feel the temptation to sink into self-protection or distraction or self-righteousness, and it's right there? God is with you in that moment. And sometimes it's actually not safe to show up with vulnerability, but I want you to know that God is, God is in that moment then and after that unsafe moment passes, offering you solace and sustenance. But we have to turn toward it. We have to open to it and let it in. You know, I've always wondered about that part in the Exodus story when Moses is warning Pharaoh about the plagues that will come if he doesn't let the Israelites go. And then the plagues come and Pharaoh temporarily relents. But then the scripture says that Pharaoh would harden his heart and he wouldn't let the people go. And I've always wondered about that, that the hardening of his heart. And I think this is what Roar is talking about. We have a choice every day to give up privilege or to stand with those who suffer or to turn toward that, that God trying to reach us or not. If we do, we will realize that we are standing in the midst of God's abundance and that we too will become part of that abundance. A conscious and intentional awareness of the grace and life God offers us in abundance is important. And if you take nothing else from this message, well, maybe that's enough. But our text from Luke continues beyond the abundant catch. Jesus, after providing the gift of plenty, tells the disciples that they're being called to something else. In some ways, the call is similar to their present work. In other ways, it's different. The scripture says that they caught so many fish that their nets began to break. And then the scripture goes on to say that they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Now, this is quite different from the story of the daily manna in the desert provided by God to the Israelites when they finally did get out of Egypt, in that story, only what they needed for the day was provided. But here, in Luke, so much is being provided that the only way to keep it, literally the only way to keep their, themselves alive to keep their boats from sinking, the only way to keep it is to share it and to keep on sharing it. As the scripture for today closes, Jesus says to Peter, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. What does it mean to fish for people? It's an odd phrase, even though it's become kind of a shorthand for Christians fishers of people, what does it really mean? Today is 9-11, and while I think we need to be very careful in the way that we lift up that history, 
so that it is clear that that act was like other acts that have happened in the US and other places, carried out by persons whose hearts have become so hardened that they can't distinguish right from wrong. Even though we need to be very careful of how we tell the stories from that time, I wanna share a story from that time this morning. The Sunday after 9-11, churches around the country were full. Though we were certainly reeling and grieving, our scriptures assured us that the truth is we've been here before. Humanity has struggled throughout time with choosing goodness and love over hate, building up instead of tearing down. Preachers went to their Bibles and found guidance solace and opened us to other stories that were coming out of New York beyond the images of the Twin Towers coming down on Endless Loop. Stories like the ones San Francisco writer Rebecca Solnit has chronicled in her book, A Paradise Built in Hell. In the book, she shares stories of altruism, resourcefulness, and generosity that arise amid the disasters of grief and disruption According to Solnit, the most startling thing about disasters is not merely that so many people rise to the occasion, but that they do so with joy. That joy reveals an ordinarily unmet yearning for community, purposefulness, and meaningful work that disaster often provides. And so the story I want to share today is this. At the time of 9-11, I got a call from the administration at McGeorge Law School in Sacramento. The, it's the law school of the University of Pacific. And I was campus minister at UC Davis at the time, and somehow they had heard of my ministry and reached across the causeway for some help. They asked if I would come to McGeorge and do some kind of prayer service. It was, that was the request. Will you come and do something? <laughs> some kind. They didn't even really know how to articulate what they were asking for. And so I did. And I led a service of prayers offering scripture from Christian, Muslim, Jewish, and Buddhist traditions. I said a few words. And then I opened it up to the gathered community of about 40 or 50 people. A few people express their sorrow, but also their hope and their trust that we can and that we could and that we would heal. They voiced a desire to find a peaceful way to redeem what had happened. And then a man took the mic and he said, this is hard for you people who have faith, but you have no idea what it's like for those of us who have none. I don't believe, and I can't, you can't even begin to imagine the abyss that I'm in. Well, the room fell silent. And this is not a story about me speaking the right word to him at the right moment in instantaneous conversion. The truth is, I was bowled over by the depth of his pain and his isolation. I knew he came to the prayer service. So he was seeking, he was looking for something. 
And I did speak to him after the service and make some suggestions, but I wonder if I did enough for him. What I do know is that what this man was expressing was not just a lack of belief, but a lack of community. Isolation is suffering. And this man's suffering was of a magnitude beyond what I was experiencing because he was so abjectly alone. In the days and months and years after 9-11, one of my driving motivations was to create community for those who were alone in the world, those who were persecuted, particularly Muslims and Sikhs who were targeted after 9-11 and still are, and those who just wanted to amplify the love in the world. And so with the campus ministry, we built a six townhouse, multi-faith living community. It took a long time. I thought we were gonna get it done in a couple of years and it took 10. But we got it done and now it's a place where 42 students live in a much larger community of students and others daily, hourly sometimes, find community and hope. It was and is a place to invite others home to. You see, what compelled me was that even in the depths of sorrow and grief right after 9-11, I knew I had an abundance, an abundance of faith, an abundance of hope, and maybe most of all, an abundance of community. I as do you, stand in a centuries-old tradition of people who have strived to live in ways that bring about goodness and amplify love. We're not perfect, we make mistakes, but we practice in forgiveness and we practice how to repair those mistakes and we try again and we know that this is the path that leads to life. So my question for you this morning is how do you invite others home? How do you share about the abundance that you have experienced? In the multi-faith community, I learned how to share my faith as one among many paths to truth and life, but as my path and to articulate why this path, the path of Jesus, the path of Mary, of the church universal and the risen Christ is essential to my life. I learned to share this in a way that didn't undersell the breath that quite literally animates my being and respectfully invited home those looking for a community or even a spiritual home while honoring where they were this path is essential to my life. How could I not share it? So how do you invite others home? How do you invite others into this home that is Epworth? The biblical definition of hospitality is love of strangers, not love of friends, love of strangers. So as you come home to Epworth, invite someone with you. And may we all feel the abundance of the love of God, the grounding of being able to hold onto the handrail of faith in the face of disaster and trauma and suffering, and the blessing of community. Amen.
been listening to the podcast for Epworth United Methodist Church in Berkeley, California. Wherever you're located, we'd love for you to take a next step in growing in faith in this community. Our online worship is at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings on Facebook, YouTube, and on our website at epworthberkeley.org. Or you can fill out an online connect card at epworthberkeley.org backslash connect. Have a great week. Blessed are the ones who do not bury all the broken pieces of their heart. Blessed are the tears of all the weary, pouring like a sky of falling stars. Blessed are the wounded ones in mourning, brave enough to show the Lord their scars. Blessed are the hurts that are not hidden, open to the healing touch of God. The kingdom is yours. The kingdom is yours. Hold on a little more. This is not the end. Hope is in the Lord. Keep your eyes on him. Blessed are the ones who walk in kindness Even in the face of great abuse Blessed are the deeds that go unnoticed Serving with unguarded gratitude And blessed are the ones who fight for justice Longing for the coming day of peace Blessed is the soul that thirsts for righteousness Welcoming the last, the lost, the least The kingdom is yours The kingdom is yours This is not the end. Hope is in the Lord. Put your trust in Him. The kingdom is yours. The kingdom is yours. Hold on a little more. This is not the end. 
hope is in the Lord. Keep your eyes on Him. Blessed are the ones who suffer violence. Still have strength to love their enemies. Blessed is the faith of those who persevere. Though they fall, they never know defeat. The kingdom is yours. The kingdom is The kingdom is yours. The kingdom is yours. 